Greetings, Calvary Chapel Old Town from the Spoken Word Ministry Center behind me, uh, just outside of the city of Kakuma, Kenya. I'm so blessed to be here and share with you a quick update on this Sunday about what God's been doing. So yesterday for the missions program, I had the opportunity to teach a story with the missionaries and then sit in their groups and help them. Afterwards, the missionaries, they've been going out all week to different areas, sharing the gospel and teaching Bible stories, as well as praying for the sick and the needy. And uh, so yesterday I joined them and we went uh, just across the way to a little Turkana village. And there I got to share the story. I shared the story of the paralytic lowered down through the roof. At the end of the story, uh, there were many who wanted to pray and they wanted to be healed and forgiven of their sins, just the way the paralytic was. As a result of that, today a Turkana church started here at the ministry center. So uh, almost the entire village that was there yesterday and prayed showed up today. There was uh, 26 in all, myself and Rafat. We traveled north uh, to a little church, uh, one of the ministers here at Spoken Word Leads, which I got to share the story this morning of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that parable. At the end of the message, uh, Rafat prayed with many who had never received the Lord Jesus and uh, were seeking forgiveness of sin and God's mercy upon their lives. I'll tell you, this is an open mission field. Uh, there are many refugee camps here, but even just the area of Turkana. Uh, you see, the Turkana have officially an 82% illiteracy rate. So there is a Bible in the Turkana language, but it's not of a lot of use to them because they can't read it. So this uh, sharing Bible stories with them and teaching uh, is truly a, an open door for them learning the word of God and making their lives obedient to God. God bless you all, and uh, I certainly miss you. Good job, Dave. All right. That was where, that was the same location I went last year into the summer to, to uh, Kakuma and Kalabaye. Do you know the way to Kalabaye is what I used to tell everyone and but so that is, um, that is actually a couple of the refugee camps there. They are a very large area, and the Turkana people are native to that area. So it's, that's a, one of those, as he said, it's, a, it's quite a mission field there. And he will more than likely be out there to, to also dig a borehole, which is there. There's this huge river, the Tarach. There is no water on it, in it at all. I mean, the walls are like six feet tall, and there's none so it's, they've had quite a bit of drought there, and their rainy season hasn't come in years. So pray for rain. That's what I told the pastors to do, pray for rain. All right, so tonight we are in Second Kings chapter 5. So Manny finished up last week with uh, several miracles. Miracle, uh, Dave did the story of the miracle of the oil. Then Manny dealt with, um, oh gosh, I went through all of them. Now I can't remember what they are. Uh, <laughs> the miracle of the flower in the bat soup and the 20, 20 loaves of bread and 100 people. <laughs> that was always good, right? <laughs> 
And then also I remember the Shunammite woman whose son had died and brought him back to life. So that was kind of what we're looking at. As we're going through uh, 2 Kings, this particular section is miracle after miracle after miracle through Elisha. Do you guys remember what he asked for when Elijah went to heaven? Double portion, right? He wanted a double portion. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we are going to jump right into our text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak clearly. We can see your power. We can see your character. We can see your attributes. And we see how much you care for your people, but even people outside the household of uh, Israel, you care for them as well, and you draw them to yourself and cause them to be obedient servants of you. So speak to us tonight through this text. We just, (laughs) always good to be able to teach your word. So we just thank you and praise you. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so our kings in this story, which they are not mentioned by name, is uh, the king of Syria is Ben-Hadad II, and he... He was a king from 860 to 841 B.C. And then Jehoram, or Joram, which was the son of Ahab, and he was 851 to 842. So this particular story had to happen between, uh, between that time, basically 51 through 42. All right, so let's go ahead. Verse 1, name and captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, that's Ben-Hadad, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So this is interesting. Naaman's, okay, this is a warrior. His name means pleasant or delightful, (laughs) right? So if somebody walks up to you and calls you Naaman, that's basically what they're saying, delightful or pleasant, which is interesting. This guy's like, hi, got to meet you. So this is this is Naaman. And I like that it says by him, the Lord. And that word is the self-existent one. That word is Jehovah had given deliverance to Syria. So here this man reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, God's like, I'm giving everything into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. He's going he's, he's gonna, to he's gonna be king of kings. And everybody's like, no, no, no. But God had chosen Nebuchadnezzar, the same as he chose Naaman, to give deliverance to Syria. Syria. And he, this man was a man of valor, brave, strong, and able, but a leper. No worse death sentence than being a leper. There is no cure. I don't think, do they have a cure for it today, even? I have no idea. But that's why you had to be cleansed of leprosy. It had to be, you know, um, basically as Jesus did, it has to be just prayed and God takes takes it out of you. And the Syrians had gone out by company and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Now, this word company here is marauder. So we got a satellite photo of the marauders that are going to Israel to take over um, the land there. So you, it's nice to have satellite photos because they actually go back in time. <laughs> 
So you can, you know, you can see what actually was going on at the time. So this is uh, what the marauders running through uh, Israel, and they, captive, uh, they, cap- they captured a little maiden, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Thank you. Thank you, Alma. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophets that is in Samaria, for he would recover or take away his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, told Naaman, saying, This and this says this maid that is in the land of Israel. So it's like, this sounds like the telephone game, right? So the maid tells, tells the mistress, the mistress tells the servant, or the servant overhears it. Then he tells Naaman, and next, Naaman runs to the king. And the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad II, said, Go, go to, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. This is, as I said, Joram or Jehoram. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Okay. <laughs> Does anybody know how heavy a talent of silver is? All right, one talent of silver is between 57 and 75 pounds. All right, so this is not like a short trip, you know, just around the block. This is 10 talents, so he took, he's taken 750 pounds of silver to the king of Israel to be cleansed of his leprosy. So he didn't come, you know, he didn't come as if it wasn't going to cost him something. And I can, that's, you know, that's one of those things we learn from David. I will offer, I will not offer that which costs me nothing. So even, even though we see Naaman is a man who is, who God has blessed, he still realizes if I'm going to go to the prophet, I shouldn't go empty handed. I should go, I should take something with me. And then the 6,000 pieces of gold, that would be two talents of gold. So that's another 150 pounds. (laughs) This is quite a train, right? All right, guys, let's go. And 10 changes of raiment. And obviously, this this is not just your, you know, raggedy T-shirts. This is, you know, the best they have. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, Jehoram, saying, Now, when this letter has come to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may recover him of leprosy, take away his leprosy. So he's like, hey, with this letter, I need you to handle this. (laughs) Well, um, being that there was no faith in Israel at all during this time, the next verse is very appropriate. And it happened when the king of Israel had read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send to me to recover to take away this man's leprosy. And I had to rewrite this for says, And it says, Indeed, perceive, I ask you, and see how Benadad is trying to start something with me. That's basically what he's saying. See how he seeks a quarrel with me? So if I don't cleanse this man of leprosy, then he's going to attack me. Because he'd already, I mean, we read in the first verse, that second verse, he sent marauders. So he'll do it again, you know. But that tells you, this Joram doesn't even realize that there's a prophet in Israel. He's like, oh, it's terrible. We're all going to die. It's like, you just, you know, it's just disappointing when you look through the, the kings of Israel and every one of them 
had no faith. They did not trust God in any way. They saw no good coming out of God having put Elisha, Elijah, you know, uh, uh, Micaiah. Not one of these guys did they find hope in, you know. And we did, went through the story of Micaiah a bit ago where he says, Hey, have you guys, Ahab, you return in peace? I'm not a prophet. And he did not return in peace, right? So here God is sending prophets to encourage and strengthen them and turn them to the Lord. And they're like, ah, it's terrible. I'm going to. It's like, no, it's not about you, dude. And this is Jehoram, son of Ahab. Swell guy, right? And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, for what reason have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Obviously, there's a prophet in Israel. What would be the point of God continually trying to direct the nation of Israel and Judah if he did not send a prophet? And there's no, there's no worse job than being a prophet. No worse job. So you have a fierce loyalty to God because God has sent you with a message that you have to deliver, and it's usually not good unless you actually fulfill what he told you to do, then it's really good. And then on the other side, you're like, but these are my people. This is the, these are the, this is the tribes that I love. But the message I'm bringing is God is going to completely destroy you. How do you, how do you handle that? It's like, I want to be compassionate with the people, but I got to tell, I got to speak what God told me to speak. So I can't imagine a more frustrating job than this, especially in the nation of Israel, where you got guys like this who will not listen. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariots, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. (laughs) I love this. And Elisha sent a messenger. He didn't even come out to see him. He sent a messenger to him and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will come again to you and you will be clean. So he didn't even get a personal audience with Elisha. He's like, oh, hey, uh, servant number four, uh, just, just tell him what to do. You know, you know. But Naaman was angry, displeased. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, the God, Lord his God, and strike his hands over the place and take away the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And that is not just more angry. This is like we're talking burning anger and indignation, where he was just furious. So he's expecting him to come over and do some, you know, some crazy thing over him. You know, it's like, and you're going to be clean and, uh, you know, and, and he doesn't even come out to see him. He says, oh, tell him to go wash uh, seven times. And I mean, I can, I can imagine his frustration because he's thinking something, I need something to happen to cleanse me of this leprosy. I am in big trouble. It's killing me. I mean, it says that he was an honorable 
man. His master, the King Benedict, thought highly of him. He was brave, able, and strong, but leprosy was going to kill him. Now, the first thing I have to say that I saw in this, that this boy's theology is right on, right? He says, I was expecting him to call on the name of the Lord his God. These, these two words is Jehovah and Elohim. So he, he knew the Lord in some, some way. Because for him to say, I thought he would call, just call on the Lord for me. The Lord God. The first time this is used is back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says, these are the generations of the, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So this word Lord is the self-existent one. So here, Naaman knows the self-existent one. How is, how is his theology so right on? And Jehoram tears his, his robes because he's got no Lord God. And that word God is Elohim, which we automatically denote is God in plural. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right? We know this. Because that's who created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. Right? The Spirit moved on the face of the water. Right? In the beginning, God. All of this. Naaman knows this. But the next thing I need to say is don't think, obey. And you might say, huh? Oh, I got it. Yeah, Ben's got it. Don't think. The first thing he said, I thought. Don't think, obey. It does you no good to think through the problem if God is saying, follow me, do that. Right? But we have a good way of thinking through it, thinking about it, rationalizing it, compromising it. The more we think about it, the worse it gets. So what do we have here? I thought that he was going to do this. Aren't the rivers over here better? How come he didn't come out and do some woo, woo, woo over me? No. He told you what to do. Don't think about it. Just obey. That's simple. I have these little stories that God gives me every so often. They're called Life Outside the Garden. And the pastor over at, Pastor Josh over at Calvary Chapel Tustin was scolding his little girl. Just, she didn't stay. He told her to stay in the office. She didn't stay. She was in the other room. And he's saying, I thought I told you to stay in the room. And she says, but I thought. And immediately he interrupted her and he said, don't think, obey. And I was like, and immediately I ran upstairs and wrote this little thing because that's the idea here. We can compromise and rationalize and justify our behavior because we keep thinking about it. Scripture says, beware of covetousness. Scripture says, flee fornication. But then what do we do? We start rationalizing. Well, if we just do this, it won't be as bad as, oh, but if I just take this little thing... No, thank you. Well, exactly. Well, right? And where do we end up? Rationalizing, compromising, and then justifying our bad behavior. And that cycle starts all the way over again. 
And now we're lying to people and we're telling them stories and we're doing all this. It's like, just stop it. Right, Neil? Just stop it. Don't think. Don't rationalize. Just obey. That's all Naaman had to do and everything would have been fine. Well, we're going to see he does that. Right? I thought. Don't think. Just obey. And your life, believe me, your life will be amazing. You think I'm crazy? Trust me. You do this. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant it. How simple is that command? Follow me. Okay, wake up in the morning. Lord, where are you going today? I'll lead you. Just come with me. Right? How hard is that to say in the morning? Lord, where are you going? Where do you want me to go? Just come with me. Just obey me. It's, all, it's going to be all good. Right? And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather than what he said to do, wash and be clean? Okay, this is too simple. It's way too simple. No, it's got, I've, got a, I've got a, where's the obstacle, core, obstacle course? Where's the 47,000 men I got to kill? Where's all the, right? If he had told him to do some important, some intense, some monumental task, he'd have gone right for it. He'd have been like, yeah, I'm a warrior. We're going to do this. He's like, no, just, just go down to Jordan, Washington. You'll be good. But uh, I, w- I thought, I was waiting. It's like, no, just, right? He wants some complicated solution. And God is saying, through Elisha, through a messenger, <laughs> just go wash and be clean, Right? But this sounds a bit like the way some people approach salvation, right? Grace plus merit, faith plus works, right? And uh, Alma, throw up that first, first slide for me with the... Uh, right? Grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Five solas, only, only, right? But... Now I've got to reread Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 the way we interpret it. This is the, this is the BT3 uh, extra-biblical interpretation of this scripture. You guys are going to love this. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Okay. For by grace and your superior behavior are you saved through faith and the approved works of the church. And that not of yourself, but we do need you to give your tithes and offering plus pay indulgences. It is a gift of God, mostly, but we need you to follow, follow the papal authority. Not of works. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, right. Who are you kidding? Lest any man should boast. Well, the church will guarantee you have a great spot in the eternal kingdom overlooking the crystal sea, we think. And you could tell everybody how awesome you are at church work. By grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But this is Naaman here, right? I'll do these great works and it'll be, it'll be awesome. It's like, no, you had nothing to do with your salvation even from the beginning. It was by God's grace because you said, Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing. How many of you guys came to that point where you said, I got nothing? I was a good church boy. And I mean a good church boy. I didn't smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls that do. I was a good church boy. 
yet rebellious in my heart. I had nothing going on. It was finally I said, I got nothing going on. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the works, but uh, I'm frustrated. I can't, I can't keep life in my relationship. And I would tell my mom, I said, it's like that I'm, I'm missing something. I love God. I want to serve him. I got saved at five years old, but it was just dead because I'm working so hard to make it work. If it's by grace through faith, then all I got to do is trust him and obey him and just go with what he said do. But Naaman wants to do some marvelous thing and his servants have to say, if he told you to do that, you'd do it. How about just the simple thing? Follow me. And verse, eight, verse 9 of Ephesians, this is, this, I love this, right? For we are our own workmanship, self-created to be slaves to religious rules and authorities, which God has nothing to do with, but we walk in them by our own self-will. Right? How many of you guys working that out? But that's not what it says. It says we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Before ordained. That means this didn't just say, oh man, I better have, uh, I better have Neil do this. No, that was, he's like way long time ago. He's like, you know what, this one I'm going to have Neil do. Right? I need to create Gerardo to do this thing because, you know what, he's going to bless many. That was way long time ago. But we think it's like, oh, we're going to do this ourselves. I'll work this out. God's like, oh, this is going to be good. Right? It ends up being a mess every time. We are his workmanship. Uh, Then Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of Elisha. And his flesh came again like to the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And this, I mean, this is like baby skin. Everybody, we all love baby skin. It's like, ooh, just so cushy. And you just want to blow on their tummy. And you want to kiss all over them, right? Imagine being a 40 or what, 50-year-old man, 30, 40-year-old man. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Whoa. And he already, God had already been using him to do specific tasks. And now he's just blown away that it's like, all I had to do was dip seven times? All I have to do is follow God and my life is amazing? Is that all I got to do? Yeah, just follow me. You'll be amazed at what God does. And so Naaman is like, oh. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. (laughs) Jehoram (laughs) doesn't even understand that. He doesn't even understand that. And here this heathen from Syria comes and says, I know there's only a God. No true God except in Israel. Now, for this reason, I I ask you, take a blessing of your servant. But Elisha, he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. 
And Naaman said, uh, basically he's saying, Will there not then, I ask you, be given to your servants two mules' burdens of earth? For your servant from this point on will offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. There we go. Jehovah. Elohim Jehovah. This boy understands who God is. Right? And we got a list of kings in Israel who don't understand this. How hard is this? There is no other God but Jehovah. And he says, in this thing, the Lord pardon your servant, that when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this thing. Have you ever had to go to a meeting you knew was just going to be filled with debauchery and stupidity and just a bunch of dumb people there, right? And you would really rather be at Wednesday night service, but you know you got to be there. This is that idea where he said, you know what? i got to go to this meeting. I know it's going to be a bunch of drunks, a bunch of idiots, but it's a mandatory meeting. Lord, forgive me. You're not there to be involved in any of it. Same as, as Naaman saying, he's like, I don't want to be involved in that. I know there's only one true God. So the Lord forgive me when I have to go and he wants to lean on my arm. He wants me to bow with him and he wants me to do all those kind of things. But he's saying, I know there's no other God. So when I go and do that, just ask the Lord to forgive me. Because I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I mean, this is, this is a man, even early we see... I don't know, did he go to Sunday school or something? I have no idea how he got this much information and understanding of the God of Israel and the king after king after king did not understand this. Like I said, I can't even figure it out. And Elijah says to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. And now the little green monster of greed raises his head. You got my little guy? There he is. There he is. He shows up. Just, boy, you can't. You don't get a step away from doing the work of God when the little green monster of greed raises his head. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, it had to emphasize that so you know, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Here Gehazi swears by the Lord. He's about to go lie, cheat, and steal. And he's like, As the Lord lives, as Jehovah lives, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah. How's that going to work out for him? Not, not so good, right? Because how are you going to swear by the Lord to do evil? I don't even understand that. And then as I was reading through this, it made me think. Do you think Gehazi would have uh, thought, thought the same way had it been somebody from Israel or Judah? Right? He probably wouldn't have. He probably just said, oh, well, he's one of our people. He, God bless him. But no, this is a Syrian. This is a, a Gentile. And he's like, oh, I can't believe he didn't take any money from him. That, ooh, that dirty rat, right? The way they've been treating us all these years, he should have got all that money. But it's like, 
It it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about exalting Elisha. It was about that God did a work in a man he had already had his hands on. Right? Neil and I love to talk about Nebuchadnezzar because we just go like, what a man. I mean, he's, you go through those chapters, he's angry, he's furious, I'm going to kill everybody, every wise man. And by, the, by, chapter, by chapter 4, he's like, oh, Daniel, don't let, the, don't let the dream stress you out. It's okay, man. And Daniel tells him the bad news that um, you're going to be deposed from your kingdom. But here's what you could do. It might lengthen the time and... He didn't kill anybody. He didn't get mad. He just sucked it up. And seven times, and we don't know if that was seven years, seven seasons, we don't know. Seven times, and what does he come out? I extol and honor the God of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, you'll see him in heaven. Now, we had another king in Judah who didn't quite make that, he didn't make it all the way to the end. He was really good at the beginning, but by the end, God says something like, his wives turned his heart from the Lord. Right? So here, I am sure Nebuchadnezzar will be there. I am not so sure Solomon will. So you see how God can use the heathen to do this awesome work, but yet his own people were like, ah. Oh, I don't believe that. I want, to, I want to do all this other stuff. And he's like, wow, i gotta, I got to use a heathen to get my work done. But here, Gehazi, he must think that he deserves this. That's usually when greed comes up. I deserve this. Elisha should have taken all this from me. He shouldn't have. It's like, no, it's not ours to have. Right? Made me think about Matthew 5, 32 through 37. Again, you have heard that it's been said by them of old, you will not forswear yourself, but will perform to the Lord your oath. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is God's footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither will you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatever is more comes of evil. So here Gehazi, swearing by the Lord to now do this nefarious activity. So Gehazi follows after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he jumped down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. Here's where the lie starts. <laughs> My master has sent me. Behold, even now, there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I beg you, a talent of silver, 57 pounds to 75 pounds, and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, oh, be content. Don't even worry about it. Take two talents, 150 pounds. Woo! We're doing the money dance, right? He's like, yeah, getting that money from that Syrian. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in a, 
in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before him. So here Naaman being the generous heart. I mean, his name is pleasant. Pleasantness. Delightfulness. I mean, how do you get a man that's a warrior, but yet just as, as generous and a love for God that you would not believe? Oh, yeah, we have a guy like that, right? King David, right? I, I, I wouldn't want to meet David in an alley fight, <laughs> right? He wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be angry, but if you're defiling the name of Jehovah, you're going to be in big trouble, just straight up. He's like, I don't know, we're going to, hey, Benaniah, take care of him. <laughs> so here we've got this generous man who says, here, take two, take the garments, just, just whatever you need. And even has his servants walk back to take it to, the, to the, where it says, and when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands. And bestowed and put them in the house, and he let them in go, and they left. But he went and stood before his master. Nothing's going on here, guys, nothing to see, right? Because that's basically what the rest of the text tells us, right? Nothing to see here, I'm just going to go stand out here. But what happens is 1 Timothy 5.24, we got a little problem. It says, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. So he's thinking, I haven't done anything. This is no big deal. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I didn't covet. Oh, wow, that's four commandments there. You just broke that quick, right? Oh, and he probably didn't honor God, too, so that's kind of that big top section of, you know, and he's thinking, I'm just going to walk back into Elisha's presence. No one's going to know. Shh, keep it quiet. And Elisha says to him, ah, from, where, from where have you come, Gehazi? Oh, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> How long has he been around Elisha? That he would say, oh, I didn't go anywhere. I, I just, it's, yeah, just a normal day. And he said, and Elijah said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned again from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, manservants and maidservants? Is this the time You'd probably like to scream that at at Jesse Duplantis, right? You'd probably like to scream that at TBN when they were doing such great work. I knew them when they had just started. Our church was a part of that. And then when it grew and grew and the money started rolling in, it's like the greed and the covetousness and the dishonoring God and the blab it and grab it and see it and say Say it and seize it, seize it, and all that kind of crazy stuff started. And here, Elisha's making it really clear. Is this that time? I, I don't know what time it is on your watch, but this is not the time to receive our reward. We are looking for an eternal reward. This is not the time or place. 
My heart went with you when you went. I heard everything that happened. You lied about me. I didn't send you. No guys are coming. But yet you decided that this was what you wanted. And he says, the leprosy of Naaman will cleave to you and to your seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. What a terrible example of what a servant of God is like. Greed and covetousness. If we are going to serve our king, our reward is not here. You're not home yet. Right? You're not home yet. When you're home, Jesus is going to walk up to you and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, little bitty things I gave you, all that little stuff I, gave, I told you to do. Be ruler over much. Why? Because you didn't think. You just obeyed. It is so simple. We complicate it all the time. I, if you've ever heard me preach, which most of you have, I only have one theme. Surrender. Surrender. Whatever you think you got going on that's so awesome, that's keeping you away from wholly serving God with your whole heart, surrender it. Right? I always like to tell men this story. I said, okay, so you're having, a, you're having the eternal poker game with God. Right? Now, God's got an, four aces and joker high. Okay? You've got a Barbie card, an Uno card, a Go Fish card, some other crazy cards, and you're like, dude, I got a great hand, man. Check this out. I got a great hand. I'm going to win this. And God's like, um, I tell you what, you give me all of what you fold, and you give me everything you have out here on the table, your wife, your kids, your car, your business, everything, give it all to me. And I will push from my side of the table everything you need. But what do we do? We keep saying, oh, no, I'm going to keep playing. We're going to keep playing poker. I'll draw another card. Yeah, you draw another card. What do you get? You get a Candyland card. (sighs) But you're thinking in your mind, this is going great. I'm going to win. God's like, I got got four aces joker high. You're never going to beat the king of kings, the lord of lords. You're never going to beat him. And all the little stuff that you think is so precious... He's like, I will make it more precious because you would have surrendered it to me and I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. But what do we do? Oh, we keep trying to think our way out of it. I'm going to work this out. I'll figure it out. And he's like, okay, this is going to take longer than I expected. But I can tell you any man that I've ever talked to where God had to strip them of everything because they would not surrender it, once they realized that God wanted it all, They had double and triple what they had before, but in a different way. They had a joy and a peace. One guy, Mike, he ended up marrying this beautiful, godly lady who had three of the most beautiful daughters you'd ever want to meet. Just absolutely kind and thoughtful. And he's like, that only happened because I surrendered, because I let all of it go. He said, I lost everything. Boats and everything. One day he came to church. He had um, 
the impeller off of a jet ski. That was the last thing he had. He said, this is the last thing I have for him. Right? He had lost everything. But yet, his life now was becoming amazing. Because he wasn't trying to hold on to those things that don't pay heavenly dividends. So Gehazi was a terrible example of what a servant of God is like. Luke twelve fifteen says, He says to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So Elijah says, You want what Naaman's got? You want his, you want his toys? You want the, the big house? You want the, you, know, you want the chariot? You want the 150 pounds of gold and silver and all that? He's like, okay, you can have it. Oh, ah, forgot to tell you. There's a little caveat in the contract that you forgot. And you get his, you get his leprosy too. So you think you're going to get the good stuff, and that's the way the world offers it to you. Oh, it's coming. It's going to be good. Oh, you're going to love it. It's, uh... What is it? There's a movie, uh, Bedazzled, I think it is, with uh, Brendan Fraser, where he keeps trying. He keeps making wish after wish after wish, and the woman who plays the devil messes it up every time. Every time he thinks it's going to be good, it's going to, oh, it's going to be exciting, she messes it up. Because that's what the devil, he, he gives you the, you know, I'm going to show you all the shiny parts of it, right? So you're like, oh, but I'm looking for the abundance of things that I can possess in this world. And he's like saying, um, beware of that. That's not going to work out for you. Because you're going to have to deal with the worldly stuff that comes with it. But I love Proverbs 10.22. The blessings of the Lord... It makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. There is, when, when God kicks you down, that's where I, like, I just said, I can't say it any other way. When God kicks you down, there is no sorrow that comes with it. It's like, he's like, okay, what else do you need? Oh, wait, let's just, let's just pour it into their bucket. They don't even know they need it, but you know it'll come, right? Too many people I know, it's like, oh, man, I got a big old bill coming in two weeks. Well, what do you want to do? You want to panic? Right? Go ahead, panic. Ah! Take about five seconds of that. After that, you're like, God, you told me you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You said you'd, you'd supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. You said, that which concerns me concerns you. So have your five seconds of panic. And then after that, God's like, okay, I told you I got this, right? Yeah, he did. And you guys have heard my saying, right? When it comes to the impossible, what are you supposed to do? You guys remember? Grab a bag of popcorn. When it comes to the impossible, grab a bag of popcorn, sit down and watch God work. And you ask me, why do I need a bag of popcorn? Because you need to keep your hands out of whatever God's doing. And if your hand is in the popcorn, you're not going to try to help God do the impossible that he's going to do. So when you come to the impossible, you come to the place where it's like, I don't see a way out, honey. I, I don't know what to do with this. Let's sit on and have some popcorn. Why are we going to sit on and have popcorn? Trust me. Let's just sit on and have some popcorn. God is on your side. You are his children. He that spared not his own son 
but offered him up for you all, how shall he not with him freely give you all things? All means all. I haven't, I haven't found a clause when you say all, right? That's the way God works. If he gave you his son, died on the cross for your sin, still took all your old stinky sins away. I know mine was stinky. I was stinking up the joint. It's like if I gave you my son, I got all the rest of this. Right? The blessings of the Lord, it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Trust God. I say it every time I'm up here because it all comes to that. Singularly focused on what God wants to do. Glorify him. Simple phrase. Follow him. Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it really seems so simple, but we always complicate it. I know I did. I made a mess of it, trying to figure it out and make it work a different way. and Trying to make it work to my advantage, but that's, that's pointless. Everything you do, everything you did was for us. That you would love the world so much you would send your only son to die. That you would send your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. That you would watch over us in the way that you do. That you would show us your glory. You would instill in us faith to believe. And then you gave us your word so we can read and understand and learn and realize this is the God that sees. This is the God that knows. And even this is the God that puts treasure in your sack because you are who you said you are. Why we can't believe that or understand that, I don't know. Give us eyes to see. Help us to be quick to obey and slow to think. Realizing that obedience is the key to all of this. Because you are our God. And your only desire is to have us with you in heaven that we may have joy and peace and enjoy seeing and being with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just amazing that you would do all this for us. Even as name and recognize that there's no other God but Jehovah. Help us to realize that has not changed. There is no other God. So we thank you and we praise you. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. And we. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, we're going to do communion right now. So you should have a cup in front of you. We're, we're still apologizing for the COVID cups, but. <laughs> All right. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you.
a new covenant, a new testament was created that night. The old covenant, it, it did what it, what it needed to do. It needed to point to Jesus. It did. So we can't say, oh, well, that's old. No, the whole point of having a new is because you had an old. You can't say, oh, this is a new, new or an old, new. No. The Old Testament pointed us straight to Christ. And he says, I, I was broken for you. I was pierced. And that's this bread. So let's take that. And he took the cup. He took a drink and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Best part. Do this in remembrance of me till I return. So this is to help us remember that he's coming back for you and for me. Why? Where I am, you will be also. All right, let's drink. All right, thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, Next week, Neil will be speaking. Uh, If Neil doesn't make it for some unknown reason, I'll be speaking again. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) All right, may the Lord dismiss you you from this place, but not from his presence. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I don't know.